Thank you. We meet once again, of course, on Ghana land. I don't know what these people are doing here today. They've got a show tonight. Um, and then two more shows tomorrow. Is that right? Tomorrow? One. Tomorrow is the first show. Oh, tomorrow is the first Thursday show. Oh, well, then they've got every reason to be here. I'm going to ask even tougher questions than I proposed. <laughs> Raphael Bonicello, Hello. over there. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Dale Bartrop here. They're joining us. They're joining us today to celebrate the festival premiere of Impermanence, a work made in Sydney, Paris and Adelaide. Now, Raphael, of course, is the artistic director of the Sydney Dance Company and the choreographer of Impermanence. Dale is the leader of the Australian String Quartet, based here in Adelaide, of course, who performs in Impermanence on stage and it seems to me in times, at certain times, in danger from the dancers, <laughs> but not present, not present today um, is uh, Bryce Desner, an American composer who lives in Paris. And Desner plays, he plays the guitar in a band. He composes for a, just about every known combination of instruments, including string quartet. He composes for film, and you heard his music in the series, the two, in the film, The Two Popes, um, and about five or six years ago now, he composed the music for one of Raphael's most acclaimed work, for the works, Frame of Mind, for the Sydney Dance Company. And he's back again. Now, Raphael, this man is extraordinarily busy, acclaimed composer. His credits go just for page after page after page. How do you get in the queue? When do you get in the queue? <laughs> How long has this work been in contemplation and preparation? Well, I first came across the music of Bryce Desna um, in 2015, when I was walking in a park in Sydney and I was listening to the Kronos Quartet. And they were playing, because I love strings, obviously. <laughs> and I was, they were playing this Ahem. It was a composition called Ahem. And at, I was like, oh my God, what is this? You know, who is this composer? What's this music? I immediately saw dance, and I immediately felt this, this connection with this music. And I created Frame of Mind. At that point, I decided to use these 40 minutes of music, and I contacted Bryce Desna and said, my name is Raphael, artistic director of Cine Dance Company. As you mentioned, he's, an in, he's, you know, he was making music for the American, American ballet, et cetera, et cetera, like big, renowned companies around the world. And we had a little bit of conversation at the time. And I remember that I sent him the video of Frame of Mind when I created the work. And at the time I asked him if he would ever consider to create a new composition of music for me. So this was back in 2016 or something. And I never heard from him. <laughs> so I thought, okay, maybe he doesn't quite like my choreography to his music. And then two years later, I get a text from Bryce saying, I'm in Sydney performing at the Opera House oh. this week with the National. Um, let's Which have is coffee. his band. In the band. And I was like, oh, Bryce, like we're rehearsing Frame of Mind right now. It was January 2018. We were about to go to South America on a tour. And the work was uh, still on the repertoire because it had been very popular. And it was a beautiful work. So I said, if you come at the Wolf at 3 p.m. tomorrow, um, you can watch Frame of Mind live. So to say that I was nervous, mm -hmm. you know, it's an understatement because I thought here is, you know, this, this composer that I adore and he's about to watch this piece of music that I made. 
and I never heard from that message from him. So he sat down, we had a coffee before, it was hot, January, and the dancers started to perform for, for the composer, and then he kept just grabbing my leg like this and look at me, and I was like, like this, and then he kept reaching for my leg, you know, it was pre-COVID, so we could, you know, touch. And then he just said to me, we walked out of the, he, he was incredibly moved by the dancers and the incredible artists that I'm so lucky to work with. But then afterwards, when we came out, he said, so when are we working together? <laughs> and I said, 2020 March. You know, like I had it in my mind. So it was very beautiful because it came from him after seeing the dancers, the company perform, and he said to me, look, I have, his music has been used for dance a lot. Yep. He's composed music for dance. But he said something very beautiful to me, which was, I have never seen choreography that matches the emotional content, but also the complexity and the craft of my music. And that changed everything because, you know, a few years before I was like this choreographer, you know, sending emails to a composer that's, you know, world-renowned, you know, Grammy Award winner, et cetera, et cetera. And I felt like I didn't, you know, I had met him once before, but we didn't have a relationship. But the beautiful thing is that seeing the work, seeing the company, seeing the, the dancers, what was really, you know, he was like, let's make something new. And that's impermanent. So it all started in 2015. And then in 20, 2018, January, we decided we were going to do the award that was meant to premiere last year, but it's been premiered this year. And, and in the course of the composition, were you um, talking to Desna? Were you, yeah. were you exploring themes? Was there, was there some kind of, um, I think this is unlikely, but was there some kind of sort of subject matter provided by you to him? Yeah, what happened was that from that point, uh, January 2018, we then had to this, I know, something else happened actually, <laughs> which was, which is really linked to impermanence, which is, after he saw the work, I, he said to me, would you ever consider performing Frame of Mind with live music? Um, and I said, oh, I will, like, I, I, it's not the plan right now, but of course that would be a dream of mine. And at that point, that's when I thought about the Australian String Quartet. Yes. You know, and then we contacted Dale and everything happened. So then the first conversation was about the instrumentation. What this piece of music that we're going to create and dance, and we need to find an idea that's going to motivate both of us. So we knew that, that there would be a process of finding a concept and a trigger for the work. But the first thing was deciding what was the, the instrumentation. And I said to him, look, We've performed Frame of Mind now with the String um, Quartet. He heard them and knew them and everything and was totally blown away. So I said, look, if we make it a String Quartet, I've got the, <laughs> you know, I'm sure the Australian String Quartet will join forces with us and we can commission it together. And then we decided it was going to be String Quartet plus electronics. And then it was a process of um, a couple of years of every time I was in Europe with the company, performing, or I would go to visit my family, which live in Barcelona. He lives in Paris, he's based in Paris. We would meet, and we would spend some time together in his studio, or having a coffee or something, and we would talk about what could be this world, what was gonna be the trigger. And we had one idea that we pursued for quite a few months that involved another really well-known artist, and I hope the idea will come you know, to life one day, but it wasn't possible at the time, so we were left after like months uh, with nothing. And then in July 2019, 
we, I was in Paris working with the Paris Opera Ballet and we were meeting um, to listen to music and play with ideas and it was three months after Notre Dame fire. Mm -hmm. And then he said to me, and he just also had had a, a, a baby, a child with his partner. So he said, I've been thinking a lot about impermanence, the philosophical concept of change and how, you know, things that we think are permanent are, are eternal, like Notre Dame you know, that has been standing for what, 850 years, are not. And there's something as beautiful as devastating in that idea. So it was all, we started reflecting on the female nature of life, the planet, what's going on with our planet, climate, climate change, etc., and the female nature of relationships. And then with, I thought, that's beautiful. You know, the, the, that idea of vulnerability, I'm not gonna get that word out now. But um, we stuck for that idea of impermanence um, and that juxtaposition, juxtaposition between beauty and devastation in the concept. So we found it together through conversations of a couple of years. We'll come back to that and the way in which yeah. the ideas developed because I have an urgent question to put to Dale. How are you still standing? <laughs> um, I know many of you here will have been up at Eucaria at the weekend and heard the Australian String Quartet playing not only beautifully, but for hours. How are you going? <laughs> I must say our day off yesterday was, was um, much needed, but um, we actually, we, you know, when you get on a roll with performing, you actually just can't, you, you, it's like a drug. You just want more and more and more of it. So by, by Sunday, we were just like, we were, we were, you know, we were cruising. Let's start again. Yeah. Do it again. Yeah, let's do it all over again. No, I mean, it was, um, it was an intense weekend, but we felt really privileged to be a part of it because, um, you know, it was just uh, some, of the, some of the greatest Australian composers from this past century um, and some of them who have really fallen off the map and um, really only being rediscovered now. Um, and as we were talking about before, um, well worth being heard. Well worth being heard, not only to discover the ones that have survived, grown and bloomed, but also the ones that haven't fared so well with time. Yes, it was extraordinary, absolutely yeah. extraordinary. It'll be a thing to boast um, for years. I was mm. there, I was there that weekend um, and heard it. But now is the discovery for Australians of Desna, which I think mm. most people, yes, we might have heard it in the background of The Two Popes, a film I happen to actually loathe intensely, but, um, but what is it like to play the music? How do you describe the music? What is its, what is its school and mood? Well, Bryce's music, um, at least his, his classical music, is very much that sort of, um, some people call it post-minimalism, American post-minimalism. <laughs> so if, you, if you're familiar with Philip Glass or Steve Reich, um, that, that, that kind of hypnotic, trance-like music that just it has this kind of this never-ending drive to it. And um, Bryce's music is particularly um, visceral, it's very rhythmic and, um, and very energetic, a lot of it. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really quite fun to play because it's just, you know, you, you, it's like you're on a moving train and if you look away for a second, you've lost your place. Um, so, so we're all really focused, um, especially in the faster sections. And what Bryce has done um, quite, um, quite well, I mean, it's really brilliant that he's done this, is that um, 
this work. It's an hour long. It started out as 40 minutes, didn't it? And, and um, COVID. then COVID happened and... and um, you see, COVID made more art. Yeah. I mean, it, there was a bright side to COVID. Um, if it, it hadn't be, been for yeah. the First World War, Proust would have been half the length. He had a war to fill in, he kept writing. COVID comes along, we get 20 more minutes of beautiful music. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So we, we you know, obviously wanted to turn it into a, a full-length show. And, um, and so he, he's now written an hour's worth of music. Um, but of course, even even in the biggest, most taxing symphonies of Mahler and Bruckner. You know, we'll never be playing for an hour non-stop. Even the violinists get, get a break once in a while. <laughs> Whereas you've just got a string quartet on stage, we're just, we're slogging it out for an hour. So, um, so but what he has done, thankfully, is he's interspersed the slow movements with the more energetic, um, really um, sort of physical movement and so so he's kind of built in those moments of, of respite for us thankfully don't you have uh, a union i have to say i kept asking for those moments because for the dancers it was the same i was like oh bryce can we just have some space <laughs> you know, like, and trust me i like i like steps and movement and non-stop you know exercise but it was like can we just have some breath and blah, and then i would contact dale and say is this humanly possible for you guys <laughs> and they'll be like i think so but give me just let me see let me ask the cello between that one and that one because it just kept getting so and so much more intense every time mm. um, but yeah when did you come into the process at what point were you actually playing with the dancers um well actually not till the very well Last year, we, we rehearsed with the dancers before we thought the premiere was going to happen. This was yep. essentially a year ago. Um, and we, we had, I think, only one day of rehearsals before COVID shut everything down. It didn't shut the Adelaide Festival down, you understand. The Adelaide Festival was allowed to continue to its preordained completion, and then Australia was shut down. There was an, under <laughs> there was an understanding. It is still baffling to look be. back, though, isn't it? I mean, everybody knew the COVID shutdown was coming, but the kissing in the foyers just never stopped. It was just, you know, it was a last chance. But once you are playing with the dancers, I mean, a great quartet, we know, um, is not just made up of great musicians, but also musicians who can pay attention to each other superbly. To what extent do you now have to pay attention to the dancers, or are they under your control? <laughs> I think we're going to need to, we're going to need we're going to need an answer from both of our guests today on this question. Well, we were actually um, musing about that last week when we premiered in in Sydney of two weeks ago. Now, um, you know, what if we were to suddenly take, you know take the tempo twice as fast. I wonder what, what the dancers would do. Uh, actually, in, in this particular show, unlike Frame of Mind, um, Frame of Mind um, was, uh, Raf choreographed that work um, to the Kronos Quartet recording. Yep. And our job coming in as the live string quartet was to basically emulate the Kronos Quartet as much as possible so that we weren't going to throw them off too much, because of has course... Be, has-beens, basically, aren't they, those Cronus Quartet they're people? They're just has-beens, they're, they're oh. has yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yep. but Dale, you played it faster, and it made my choreography better. Ah! I, I lo you were faster was... than the Cronus Quartet, and my choreography looked better. <laughs> I was like, oh, I used to well, hate this bit. <laughs> now I like it. And then 
increased the rehearsal director would be like, oh, it's a lot faster. I was like, oh, that's why I like it. <laughs> so how have they handled this piece of music? Incredibly well. I mean, like, they've brought it to life in a way that it's um, impressive. And, you know, it's always like they arrive there and in one day <laughs> always nailed it. And it comes together so beautifully. So I think that energy between the quartet and the dancers, it's just electrifying. And we were very um, lucky when COVID did shut us down last year, we were able to still go into the recording studio and record the work, at least the, the work as it originally was, the 40 minute work. Um, and so then Raf was able to use that recording. It's now been released actually just a couple of weeks ago. Um, but um, Raf was able to use that recording in, you know, obviously developing the work and, and choreographing. Another one of the good things of COVID, we wouldn't have, because we were sent home from the theater last year, Dale and the musicians were able to go into a studio that wasn't planned so early in the process, and it was recorded. And then through COVID, the music was sent to Bryce in France, and he mixed it, or did the final mix of it, and now you can hear it in Spotify. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's there for commercial release, and that's, something that maybe would have happened, but much further than the land. It certainly has never happened in the time that I have been in the company. But I cut you short when you were still talking about the development of the work. The, the, the fire in Notre Dame had occurred, yeah. um, had happened. This, you know, I, I wonder whether it was the most watched event in the world um, for a very long time. Um, and then, then the fires in Australia, at what, at what point and how did the notion that the work would, in a sense, be triggered by, by fire? Well, it was total coincidence that the moment where Bryce started writing the music, so we met in July, we decided impermanence was going to be the trigger and the concept of the work, and then he's writing the work at the end of that year, and the fires are happening in Australia, and the whole world is watching. So he was sending me emails, just asking, how are you guys, how is everyone? He has a lot of co connection and friends in Australia. He had friends that had been evacuated, you know? Oh. So his personal, from someone living so far away in another country, with friends here in Australia being evacuated from their homes because of these terrible fires, and he's writing the music. So he said to me, what is happening in Australia is really entering the work. Um, and that was, you know, he would have done it two months before, and maybe the world would have been a different world, would definitely been a different world, because fire was an element of the idea of impermanence, and Notre Dame was the trigger, but it wasn't just that. But then it became really, the, the work, it's in 12 movements, and, you know, it's alarms, emergency, disintegration, ashes, um, requiem, um, impermanence, so all of the names, embers, in the work of each section are very fire connected. And there is that you know, devastation of what happened in this country that really entered the work in the way that he wrote it and he felt it. And of course, you know, he was writing the work for a company in Australia mm -hmm. where it was all happening. And everyone had been affected in one way or another, directly or through friends and family and so on. And how... Has he seen um, a tape of the performance? Do you know what his response to it has been? Well, you know, another COVID. <laughs> We're talking about the good things, which is important. And, you know, pre-COVID... The good things for privileged people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Zoom, 
you know, he watched the dress rehearsal at whatever time in the morning in, in Europe. He was present and watched our dress rehearsal where we were all, you know, full lights, um, a few friends in the audience, and he was able to send notes from what he saw. So otherwise, he was, he was gonna be here last year by, because he was playing with the National again in Australia, and that was pure coincidence. But this year, traveling is really hard. So he still was connected until the day of the premiere. He wrote music from the Monday night rehearsal to the Wednesday opening. Fabulous. He wrote music. He said to me, oh, Rafael, I feel like we need a little bit of a transition there. And I was like, wow. Like, and then I was a bit worried just because like, we don't have a lot of time. But you know, Dale and everyone, everyone jumped in there, even about the lighting and even about the dancers. And it was, he was so present, although not there in person. And that was great because by then I didn't know what I was watching. You know, when you've been mm. listening to the same thing and looking at the same dancers and looking for every mistake I can look at, find, which makes you not sort of enjoy the work for a bit because <laughs> you're looking for the mistakes and what can I make better? And suddenly to have a fresh eye, which was Bryce's, Bryce's eye was amazing. And he was great, he gave us feedback too. He was, you know, I want, you know, more grit there or, you know, I think a softer opening of this movement. And so he was, he was really engaged in what we I were doing. And With Zoom, you could get so much, yeah. you know. Like, yeah. and, and he was saying, and we will have this extra music. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, when you add, you know, just even a couple of bars, that doesn't just affect us. Also, the, the sound guy, the lighting guy, because it's all cued. The whole show is, is done mm. to, a, to a click track. And so everyone is affected by, the, the, you know, just the most minute change. Yeah, that was my worry, but... But we made we, it. We made it. You made it, yes. <laughs> um, do you ever feel in physical danger on the stage? <laughs> Actually, I think the, the, the question should be posed to the dancers because it's at, at, at one point, Michael actually almost stabs one of the dancers with his bow <laughs> as they're exiting the stage. So I think we're actually more dangerous than they are. Um, but no, look, they, they're, they're incredible. The way they, they manoeuvre um, around that stage is, is kind of mind-boggling to me. Um, and I just know that they're so aware of space and aware of you know, themselves um, that I never, ever feel in danger, even though like, they're literally there, there yes. right there. Yeah. And not necessarily standing firmly on the ground, either. <laughs> Usually not. Usually not. <laughs> Look, were my ears playing tricks on me, or did I hear percussion? Yes, you do. That's in the electronic, that's in the, in the, in the electronic track. I knew there was more to this than just a string quartet. I knew that the magic <laughs> element was, <laughs> was percussion. Well, it's interesting because the electronics really do add a whole other layer of atmosphere and intensity to this work. I mean, you know, of course, the, the purists among us, um, <laughs> you know, are like, well, what's this electronics above string quartet music? Um, but actually... They've um, died out, it, haven't they? <laughs> well, you know, even, even we were a little bit sceptical at first about there being so much layering um, over what we were doing. But because we are amplified, and Bryce himself has taken our recording and, and actually used elements of our recordings in the electronics. So uh -huh. he's actually taken our recording and, and 
manipulated it. So in, it's you. So it's us <laughs> that you're hearing, not, not the percussion. But, um, but yeah, so um, the way he's done it is really clever. And he hasn't done it all the time. It's not throughout the entire um, hour of worth of music, but no, he, no, adds, no. he adds electronics um, to really create these moods and atmospheres, and, and, and I think it works really well. Yeah, in fact, none of the new sections of the Newton Minutes have electronics. And for me, it was also because the first, the work that I first made with his music was a string quartet. When we decided to make this one, and he mentioned maybe we should use electronics. And I thought, oh, that could be a good point of differentiation with the work that we created before. But it's so subtle, and there's a few moments of that feels like percussion. But otherwise, it's more ethereal and mm. sort of drown, drones and to, you know, between the sections. Yeah. Raphael, as a choreographer, how do you set about conveying to an audience a theme of, of hope in the face of devastation? Well, for me, you know, when I think about nothing, nothing, imper it's impermanent. It makes me think more than anything about how much every moment counts, you know, and how much we need to be present and to live every moment. And if there's anything that's made me think more and more about that, it's been the last year that we have had um, of COVID. And being someone that lives in Australia, I am also Australian, but I have family, my family in Spain, which have been living a sort of different sort of COVID. There is something about the dancers and the musicians being that hope for humanity, you know, and for life, and for the need to, you know, to, to continue to, to go and to continue to fight. And, um, you know, so all of that thinking has been in my head behind the intention of the work. But then the, 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 the idea of fire and the destruction of fire and, and all of that has also entered some of the, you know, the, 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 the ideas that have informed the choreography, but ultimately, and that it's, you know, it's pure and it's dance and it's abstract. So audiences will always come to me with a very, you know, unique and personal experience of what they have watched. And I always find that very uh, beautiful and also important. So, because we all have a very different, you know, experience and worldview and dance can give you that, mm. that opportunity to, to come out of it and, and, you know, have a, uh, people will say things to me that I'm like, oh, I never thought of that. But that's a very beautiful thing. For me, there seemed to be a combat, but not with each other, not with the dancers. There was a sense of com combat um, addressed together that was very beautiful. And support and, and drive and togetherness. How many dancers are in, on the stage? About a dozen? Um, 17 dancers in the company. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the version that you saw, I mean, I think two dance, uh, there was two injured dancers at the time, so like it, it, it's like from 15 to 17. Yes, yeah. yes. I might just jump in here for a second. One of the things that just um, impressed us throughout the, the, the course of the two weeks of shows we did in Sydney was, was that the dancers all knew each other's roles. Or they, they take on different roles in case someone gets injured. In, in this case, a couple of people did get injured. And so they all switch around. Is that right? Well, we have what we call COVID covering. So this is an entirely new concept because right now, if you have a sore throat or any sort of symptom, you must stay home. Mm -hmm. And it's happened through all of the rehearsal process. So since we came back to work last June, which is, you know, already quite a long time considering what's going on, if anyone's unwell, they have to stay home. And that could happen tomorrow. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's not what you want. And dancers, you know, we ha I've been on stage with fever because you want to perform unless you're nearly dying. Mm. You will not know go on stage. That's what performers do. But it's a different thing right now. So dancers used to always be covered, but now it's like tripled covered. And in fact, one of the, the, the injuries, which was like an ankle, happened during the performance after the first five minutes on a Tuesday night. But because we have the COVID covering, everyone went, okay, you do that, Emily. You jump for, oh, sorry. You jump for that, you jump for that, and the show, went, the show must go on. Uh, but it's just um, a new way of working. It's one, what we call now the new normal. So that tomorrow, if anyone wasn't well, the show will go on, and there's no preciousness about, that's my part, and that's my part. It's like, do you know it? You're on. <laughs> do you know it? Okay, you're on too. And Dale, tell me how that works with the string quartet. <laughs> <laughs> we never <Well>. get sick. <laughs> Actually, um, interesting that you should ask, because we were so concerned about making it to Sydney, um, especially because, well, through closed because borders um, we were in Melbourne at the time oh, no, um, when, the, when this, this most story. recent lockdown <laughs> happened. Um, I also play with the Melbourne Symphony uh, part-time. And, um, and anyway, actually all four of us were in Melbourne. And um, the lockdown happened pre that, before all that. Um, we got in touch with the Sydney Dance Company and we, we, we talked about this um, at great length. And, and thought, you know, what if something happens and we can't get to Sydney? Um, maybe we should have a backup quartet on the ground ready to go in Sydney. So we were frantically on the phone to our colleagues. Um, I mean, finding any musician um, who was free for two weeks, um, tricky enough, but finding the right musicians who could get together and form a quartet um, and play this work with an... Exactly uh, as it needed to be played for the exactly dancers. Exactly as it needed to be played was, was a really tall order. We somehow managed to find um, four incredible musicians who were all miraculously free or made themselves available. Um, and they actually went in and rehearsed with the company before we got to, sit, before we got to Sydney. So they actually had two, two or three rehearsals with the company um, and were ready to go if we couldn't make it. And then what happened? Melbourne went into lockdown and we were planning to fly on Monday um, and the lockdown started on Friday at midnight. I was still with the symphony that day. Um, the others, a couple of the others were at a festival in Dalesford. Anyway, we dropped everything and bolted and from and New look, South Wales. And I think they found a member of a partisan group who very bravely led them over the mountains. <laughs> carrying their instruments. <laughs> and they were met by a van in Cooma and taken secretly to Sydney. That's how it happened, wasn't it? Precisely. Yeah. They had <laughs> but we're not going to give any names because that service is available to arts lovers, but you do have to be able to climb. So some of you, I know, I'm afraid it's, it's too late for you, but for some of the younger members of the audience, they'll be able to do it. <laughs> I, I, just, I just couldn't believe it when I was in, in Sydney Friday before the opening and I hear the news. 
I was like, yes. I cannot believe it. Like, but can you imagine what it was like for the festival? I mean, there were all these musicians coming from Melbourne for, <laughs> for Eucaria. There were performers coming oh, from dear. Melbourne. And more importantly than anything else, really, there was audience coming from Melbourne. <laughs> and everybody course. was on standby. Somehow or other, somehow or other, they opened the borders in time. Um, extraordinary. What an extraordinary <laughs> way to be living. Now... There is another performer in this quartet. How much can we say of this? Uh, of, of the work, not the quartet, of the work. Um, you, how much am I allowed? Um, how much you think? Look, people, you can know. Go, people can go on Spotify and realise they can... Um, Maybe, yeah, well... Something absolutely, magically astonishing happens in the last minutes. Yeah, Should so we when we... That? Before... Bef so before it became a one-hour work, you know, through COVID and so on, the 40-minute work, and the fires were happening in Australia, and, you know, like I said, the whole world was watching, you know? It was really, you know, headlight news and devastating for everyone. I was working in Cuba, actually, with, in Havana, with a, with a company, dance company there that I've worked with before, um, at that time, November, December of 2019. And then from there, I was going to the Colombian jungle for two weeks um, before I come back to Australia. And I was in, and Bryce was writing the music and he sent me the music while I was in Cuba. And the first time that I heard the music was walking down the Malecon, which is this walk like in, with the sunset and, you know, like every day just walking and listening to the music, walking and listening to the music. It was incredible. Um, and then he said to me, oh, you know, maybe do, we, do you think we need a song? A song. And then by then I was in, in, you know, Australia is burning, climate change is happening. I'm in the middle of this jungle, which is incredibly virgin and pristine and like nothing I had experienced before. But even there, you know, things in the last 10 years have changed, not for the better. And I was there in, in, in a place where, you know, they, they invite artists and scientists to spend time and reflect or connect with the, with the, in, with, um, the people living there, the indigenous um, people of the area. And, you know, it was this thing. And I said to Bryce, oh, I think, you know, with everything that's going on in Australia and, you know, we do need a song, something, mm. you know, like a message. And then, you know, he eventually came up with this. He found the song. He didn't come up with it. And the song is Another World, is called. And it's by Anoni, um, who um, was Anthony and the Johnsons. And it's about we need another world and how we will miss the trees and how we will miss the sun, you know, because things are not going the way that should be going and we should be doing something about it. And that came into the work, and it's the most beautiful, incredible song. Mm. But you know, but it, he, it's a meditative song. It's medi not declamatory. Yeah. It's just yeah, sweetly just meditative. Absolutely. And he's and he is a friend of Anoni, so he asked her, and she said yes, of course, you can use the song. So you know, it ends the work in a very beautiful um, note. Mm. Extraordinary. It's very extraordinary. Is it? Is it in this way that you wish to sort of renew the audience for dance, making it so much a work of today and of the things that we are experiencing, feeling, worrying about, celebrating? I mean, I think, you know, with the, the, I just, 
I don't know what, like, for, I always say that life inspires all my work. So for me, I never know what the next work is going to be. And I live life, I meet people, you know, and I, read, I do things that, that eventually trigger something. And in this case, it was meeting Bryce and the ASQ and this incredible artist that we've come up with this. So it wasn't, it's not like I, I, I decided that that's how I'm going to do it through my work. I do always want more and more audiences for dance. And I think that, you know, it's, it's often those collaborations that make people um, come to dance that maybe have never thought about it before. Um, and I hope that this, this work um, and this celebration of dance and music and live music especially with us on stage, it does attract people to come and see dance. Um, but do I have it as my mission? Not so much, maybe. What happens will happen. What happens is what happens. <laughs> let's see. Let's see questions from the audience. I've still got a couple of really important questions, but I'm going to leave them to the end. Uh, Raphael, this is for you. Uh, I'm fascinated by the uh, the growth of the show from a 40-minute work to a 60-minute work over over 12 months. Um, and I wonder, like that's that's a third of a third of the length of the show has it has been added in in finally making it. Um, is it that when you were doing <clears throat> when you were working on it last year, and I know you got through to you were lighting it. I know with Damien, um, were there areas where you thought, oh, I would love that part to develop further? Um, or was it in retrospect that when you were, when you were coming to, to re-look at it for 21, that you thought, I know in what ways it could, it could expand into a full-length work? What's the process there? So, two things. The first one is when he gave me the music uh, for the 40 minutes, I thought, oh, damn, this should have been a full-length. <laughs> <laughs> but because I took that decision in 2018, and, you know, it was really in the moment, Bryce telling me, and we had never worked together. I used his music before, but we had never collaborated. So to collaborate with someone for the first time and commit to an hour, that, and, and someone that doesn't even live in... I, I got so used to now going to the, to the composer's studio and seeing them every day and, and listening to the music as they're making it and having that conversation. So the idea of doing it, you know, across the seas and so on. So I thought, you know half of an evening. The evening had a work by William Forsyth, which I'd been working on for, for like years to get. So it was perfect. But when I got the music, I was like, oh, wow. This is so beautiful. And not only that, then I got the Australian String Quartet. So I thought, I've got live music and it's only 40 minutes. So that was my first thought. But it was what it was. It was 40 minutes. I'm grateful. Then COVID came and we had to reassess everything. You know, do we have an interval? Do we not have an interval? Our audience is allowed to come out. Da, 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 da. And what we had also was time. So because I had had that feeling months before of like, oh, I wish they would have been a full length. And then a work that is called Impermanence gets cancelled the day before the show, sort of. You know, like it never even happened. So I was like, oh, you know, maybe there's something here about, you know, what we're all living right now in this moment in time that could sort of enter the work as well. So I called Bryce and I said, look, you know, I have this idea of maybe making it into a full length. And is that something that you would be... It was important for me that it made sense to him. Otherwise, what I want or I don't want 
it doesn't matter. And I also had some ideas, which was mostly about those bits that needed breath, because they work already in the 40 minute, like the first 12 minutes were like relentless already. Within the first 12 minutes, you had done a journey of, I don't know. So I, I felt that you needed breath and, and I already had some ideas. So Bryce immediately was like, yes, I can see it. And I can see how this moment in time, you know, and what we are living, the fact that everything we thought that we could do and was permanent, like traveling, you know, um, holding someone's hand, uh, going for, you know, meeting friends, and all of that's been taken away from us, and everything that, we have, that we're experiencing, more so in Europe that we are here in any way. So he was like, yeah, let's do it. And then, it was a, and then he, he's, he already had some ideas of, of, of bits of music, in that, even in that first conversation, like phone conversation, he was like, oh, maybe, you know, I'm gonna send you something and see what you think because, you know, something that maybe feels like this of his own music and so on. And then, you know, I, there's some sections that were lengthened. So there's disintegration and embers and ashes. There are three of the quieter sections. And I, and I was like, Bryce, if you can make that longer and it makes sense for you, then great. And then he worked on other sections this, um, that he, that, and then that were new. And those sections were inserted. So it wasn't like an entire new chapter, you know, the COVID chapter or anything like that. It was more about looking into what we had and how could that, so you know, there's another section that's called before, which now, you know, it starts the work. And for me, you know, when he sent me the music, actually, the music is from, you know, so it was this, when we were in lockdown and there was this sense of like another day, you know, and you know how the repetitiveness became of another day and doing the same thing. So, the, you know, choreographically, there is this sense of loops, you know, of really little things. So, yeah, it was a few conversations, you know, we spoke, started talking about it maybe in June and then you know, I only, although we had the work ready to go on stage in March last year, I never was able to be in the studio with the dancers until January this year. Um, to, so I didn't like do it through last year, I just left it. And then in January I came in with the new music. Um, Dale and the musicians, they recorded it, they did a rehearsal recording that I could use. Um, so it was a process of, again, conversations with Bryce and then I said, oh, this is the order that I feel that would work. And then he was like, oh, if that works for you, um, we'll, let's keep it like that. That makes sense. Excellent. Yeah. Questions? I, I actually wanted to. Oh, I, I, no, I just wanted to continue that conversation for a little moment. Just to say that um, uh, in the festival we had on, on Saturday night, Friday night, sorry, um, the live stream from, uh, from London, from Sadler's Wells, of Botasseva's um, Black Dog, um, which, when we, which, uh, which won the Olivia Award for Best New Dance in, in 2019. And uh, when we uh, agreed to do the live stream, Botas was wanting to develop it from a 35-minute work into a one-hour work. Um, a similar thing, and he had, but he wanted to actually add a section uh, that would join on to the to the 35 minutes uh, for the for the next 25 minutes, and he knew precisely where he was going to head with that. As it happened, 
um, because of because of COVID, he was unable to get into the studio with the dancers uh, to do that development, and so we ended up doing uh, screening or, or streaming the original 35-minute work, which the dancers did uh, on Friday uh, Friday morning in London, uh, and uh, Natalia Rossipova and Jason Kittelberger did did their duet, as, so that we made it a full evening for, for our audience here. But that was, I think, a, a different concept of the expansion of a work. Hmm. That's not a question, that was just... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's also no. nice to hear how, you know, artists everywhere are just, you know, tr just pushing to continue and to make it happen and to be on stage. Neil mentioned lighting. Um, the, it struck me that the lighting design of this of this work is extraordinarily important. Um, and I do want to ask you how you can read the, read the music in the dark, but let's first hear, hear how, how, how did you work with the lighting designer in creating the work? So, um, lighting designer Damien Cooper. Yep, who, is who also lit um, Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah, and uh, doing an Australian dance theatre at the moment for the performance this week. Um, and uh, also David, David Fleischer, did the set, and it's a little bit connected because there is very beautiful lighting that happens within the set, the idea of the set. The process to get to what the staging looks like, which is ultra minimal and simple, I would describe it as, uh, but there's a, um, took quite a few, uh, we went through quite a few, mm. no, mm. that's not gonna work, partly because you know, we want to be able to take dance and what we do to as many places as possible. Yeah, and when you have big sets, it's often a problem. Yep. You know, and we are going to be going into a very extensive tour across Australia in very, very small theatres. And then we're in the biggest theatre here, which is like a dream for me. You know, when I was there yesterday, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is amazing. You know, like, it really felt That's so good. real theatre. Yeah, but we need to, to make sure that it fits everywhere. You know, wherever we go, like, um, um, and so eventually, between conversations with Damien, the lighting designer, and David, uh, because the, again, the lighting is really integrated into the set design, because it happens, I don't know how much to describe, but you know, they're, they're both incredible designers that they're all, I always welcome all of my collaborators at any point in the studio when they want, you know, we, they were very part, they, they, we've worked together before, so we already had a sort of dynamic going there, um, and Damien does just magic. I mean, I don't know, like, we, we had a lot of conversations. You know, there's the whole thing about is it white or is it black, the, the space that we're uh. in. And that's a very big question because how you light a white space and how you light a black space, it's like, it's just like, you know, day and night. And we went for white space, something about the purity of the idea and so on. There's also the fact that the musicians must be on stage. We, you know, and we played with all sorts of different ideas, but then there's a lot of dancing happening. So it's like, how do we negotiate that between having the, that power of the musicians and the dancers? How do they exist? So we went through many, many different ideas of design. And then, I don't know, how he does it, because for me, lighting is so abstract. You know, often I go like, yeah, yeah, when the lighting is on, they say, no, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, it's like, try to like imagine it, but he just, we arrived there on the day, and it was really, it, it just, it's just magic. And then there's, there's, there's that interaction that happens. I have a thing with Demian, which is like, 
oh, you know, it's not quite magic yet. That's the only way I can, I don't really know what I want, maybe, or want to feel, but I, or I'm like, oh, I said to him, at this point, I, there's a section called pulsing by the end, um, and I just want the, 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 the audience to be euphoric, you know, and to be absolutely floating into the, you know, the, the into absolute, anyway, so, um, and he always gets there. In, I don't know how, but yeah, he does. You've pointed to something. I think the theme of this year's festival is magic. I think that's the theme of the festival. I have to work on that idea. <laughs> you, I presume, are reading your music from um, screens. Yes, from, from iPads. From yep. iPads. Yep. Because when the dark is dark, it's dark. It's not as though, it's not as though there are little lights over the music stands. Um, I had a um, slightly unnerving experience during one of the first shows. My, the brightness level on my iPad was set to sort of automatic, which means it adjusts according to the light around it. And when the, when the lights on stage went, went black, so did my iPad. Ah! <laughs> so I was <laughs> squinting to see the music. You could barely see the music. But, um, I, I thought you were going message. to say that it glowed brightly, <laughs> lighting your face for, all, for the audience well, to see. The, the, actually, the production manager comes on stage at the beginning of every show and checks the brightness level on our iPads to Very make sure idea. they're not too bright because... Um, it does affect the lighting, and so, and at the, at, well, not to give it away, but at the end of the show, we um, actually have to turn our iPads off altogether because um, the, sh the, um, the yeah. lights go to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. so it is, um, it was, yeah. Have you any idea what a different experience it is for the audience when you're tapping your foot to change the page? I mean, often, particularly in poor performances, I can see agreement in the front row. It's subtle, but don't you think sometimes flinging the page across? <laughs> it can often be the only exciting thing about a performance. <laughs> or what about when one musician has to change the, change the paper for the other musician? And you can just feel the tension between them, and you know <laughs> that there is some visceral distaste being played out here because they just wait a little bit too long. <laughs> ah, it just all happens. All oh, a question. Oh, you have to just a bit more about the dynamics between the musicians and the dancers in terms of setting the pace um, without a conductor. How do you do that? Well, um, obviously the dancers are are incredibly flexible and they really do respond to every little thing that we do. And um, admittedly, this show is all timed because there is an electronic component. Um, we, we are playing with headphones clicking the whole time. So there, there is a degree of consistency between the shows, which... You are being conducted through your headphones. Yeah, we're being kept together, except for the very opening number, which um, uh, Raph was talking about before. The very opening number is this very meditative um, viola solo, essentially, um, and we play that without a click track. I actually asked Raph if it was okay, if we could do that, because it just required that a little bit of extra flexibility and elasticity that you can't get with a click track. Um, but the rest of the work, because of the way it's written, because of the, the way the music is relentless and driving and rhythmic, um, it, um, it works with a click. And so, um, so 
to a degree that it, it does sort of solve that issue of, of um, flexibility in tempos. Um, but I think that we, you know, every performance we give is different. And I would say that's very true with the dancers as well. And there are some shows where they will come up to us and be like, wow, that was, what you guys did there was, was we really felt that. And so, um, so, and that's great to know. That's really great um, to think that, um, that there is still spontaneity happening, there is still chemistry, um, and that we're responding to each other. And the more shows that go on, the more looks we get from the dancers as they're flying by us. And, <laughs> you know, we're interacting on stage, and, and it's just beautiful. Um, questions? Yes, a question. And you said you'd feedback from the composer about your playing. It's a two-way process. Did you have the opportunity to give him feedback? And how did you receive it being such a famous composer? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, we, we didn't so much... Uh, I'm, I'm sure that, that Raf had... Um, Raf had... You know, your relationship with Bryce was, was, was very integral to the process. We... Um, gave our feedback in the form of questions, which is the best way to give composers feedback. Because <laughs> you, you don't want, to, you don't want to, to, to put them in an uncomfortable position. Um, but at the same time, there were issues. There were lots of issues in the score that we needed to address. Because um, he's not a string player. And even though he's writing a lot for string players these days, um, you know, there were certain things, certain technical elements that just needed to be clarified. And so... Clarified um, is such a lovely word. Mm. It's... <laughs> <laughs> but he was great. He was really... He was, he was really open to, you know, to our questions and, and on the whole, <laughs> answered them. Um, and then, but also seemed very happy to allow us to insert our own stamp on it. And that, that was wonderful. That really gave us artistic freedom and license to kind of take the music in the direction that, that we wanted to take it. And of course, he heard all of the rehearsal recordings that we made. Um, and so he did then offer his own um, in, you know, feedback to us before we, um, before we made it official. Now, we've got time for one more question. Is there a question? Well, then that question is going to be mine. <laughs> Why does it say on the program that this show is not suitable for the under eight-year-olds? Oh, really? Yes, it says this show is not suitable for under eight-year-olds. And I'm wondering whether the, whether the issue is inattention or the notorious encouragement to pyromania in children. <laughs> it's baffling. I mean... I, I do not know why. But do you feel safer we did a school matinee. We did a school matinee <laughs> <laughs> um, already. Yes. And there were some primary schools. I, I so really, really hope. I need to find that out. Yes, you do. I'm um, looking at Dom over there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the, it's the kind of care and attention to detail that you only get at the Adelaide Festival. I mean, I know for a fact that Marla is not suitable for the under-12s, but um, I think you should tell Bryce Dessner that his music is apparently okay so long as you're eight. Um, and I think that that will warm his heart. Um, this is going to be a wonderful event at the Adelaide Festival. Will you please thank Dale and Raphael. Thank you.
And tomorrow, here at 12.30, I'll be talking to Robin Nevin about a German life. And I warn you now, I have only one question to ask her. How do you do it? <laughs> I hope to see you then. Thank you.